Hello, and welcome to Elantum Digital's Publishing by the Numbers, where we help authors and self-publishers create quality books and build successful self-publishing businesses. Hi guys, welcome to the Publishing by the Numbers podcast. Uh, it is January, we made it to January. Um, and I am Janet S. Brown, and I'm here with my two amazing, lovely co-hosts, Virginia Anderson. Hello. Hello, Virginia. And CJ hello. and Aya. Hello. Hello, hello. And last week, we got to talk to Aisley Oliphant, which was tremendously fun. Uh, if you missed that uh, podcast, we suggest you go back and listen. She was both fun and really informative. And if you haven't had a chance to go check up on Book to the Gills or any of her other projects, please pop over to her website. Um, all of that information is in the show notes from last week. But she, she was a real kick, and I can't wait to talk to her again because I'm sure we'll have her back. Um, so this month for January, uh, as we talked about just a little bit last week, we are talking about plotting, um, about what plotting is and why is it useful and a little bit of, you know, the difference between plotting and pantsers and, you know, when you can do a little bit of both of those things. And so today uh, we thought that we would talk about kind of, oh, I guess we'd, I, I would call it the granddaddy of all plotting methods. CJ, do you think I'm wrong there? No, sorry. I had to unmute myself. No, I don't, I don't think you're wrong there. I think I think you're right there. I agree. So, so what we're going to talk about is what we call the story mountain. And this gets a lot of different names, but the story mountain is the easiest one to remember it by. Um, and it's called the story mountain because that's what it looks like when you plot it. Um, and this is different from outlining. And, and I want to get that out there because a lot of people say, oh, I'm a pantser. I don't need any of this plotting stuff. And that is totally not true because even as a pantser, you still want a satisfying story and a satisfying story has a good plot. So before we get into what the mountain is and how it works, we're going to circle back around. I'm going to toss this over to CJ. What is a plot and how does it apply to a book? Okay, so a plot is essentially what is happening in your book in some kind of specific order. So it's all of the details of the book. What's your book about? What's the premise? And all of the action that moves it forward. So you're starting out with some kind of conflict with certain characters, and then you're trying to see as they move forward with this, this plot, um, how are they going to solve these problems? Are they going to reach their goals at the end? And so plot is story, basically, as well as uh, just dealing with different conflicts and solving them throughout the process. Um, so that is that is without without a plot, you really you don't have much of a story, just maybe lots of chaos, which I am used to and enjoy. Uh, but but nobody would want to read anything like that from me. So plot plotting is a good thing. Plots are good. So you, you know how I like a good analogy always, always, right? So let's talk about building a house. <clears throat> so a outline will be kind of the frame, the big frame of the, the, the house. But then without the interior layout, you just have a frame. You don't have a story. So plotting will be all those little interior like, it, this is the kitchen, this is the bedroom, what's in the kitchen, what's in the bedroom, all those things. Is that Would that be a fair comparison? I, I'd go further and I'd say it's like the wiring. It's the wiring and it's the plumbing. It's all the things that make your house function. 
because you you can have a very nice house, but if there's no wiring, you have no electricity. If there's no plumbing, then the toilet doesn't flush. So so it's all those things that make your home functional. And it's a lot the same way in a story that if all you have is some nice characters who do nothing, you you don't have a story. You you might have a vignette, you have a character sheet that you could, you know, start a Dungeons and Dragons game with, but you don't have there's nothing functional in there. So whether you are a what we call a plotter or a pantser, you will still have a plot because otherwise you don't have a story. Um, and, that, and that's kind of important to realize because I think sometimes it's better to say an outliner versus a pantser because everybody has a plot. Now, the other thing we get into is that some stories are what we call character driven and some stories are what we call plot driven. That doesn't mean that there isn't a plot in those others, but it does mean the difference between something where you really, really attach the character. And if there's some holes in the plot, you kind of blow by them because you just don't care um, versus things that are very, very plot driven that if that you could almost put in any character and it wouldn't matter as long as the plot reaches its conclusion. So you do see that where plot can be a much bigger driver or a lesser driver, but it's really important that it's there. Otherwise, your story is boring. It has no pacing and nothing happens. So that that's plot altogether. So now here's the thing. And, and we'll put this back to Virginie because it's always fun to do this. In a nonfiction book, do you have a plot? Uh, no. I mean, I don't have one. <laughs> I'm uh, finalizing a nonfiction book all, all about how to publish children books. So my outline initially is, okay, so I'm not talking about self-publishing in general. I'm not talking about any fiction. So it's very targeted. It's only about children books. But within that big theme, there's a lot of things that need to be covered, that, that I need to, to cover. So my outline is really quite detailed. So I start what are what are considered as children books, what are some of the uh, things that you need to think about before you start that children book of yours? Um, and then, uh, you know, depending on whether it's a children picture book versus a chapter book, the, the, the process will be quite different. And then I'm going to talk about, you know, um, uh, all things around marketing and promotion of those children books, which were, again, are very different to a normal non-fiction book um the promotion and marketing is quite different so my outline details all that so that i can remember oh i need to talk about those those things so it's uh, it's almost a little bit like a uh, summary slash cheat sheet for me so that when i'm starting the writing i'm not forgetting all those really important milestones are also chapters so that's what I do with non-fiction books so I don't have a plot because I don't have a story to tell but I do have a very detailed outline to work with and I love orders law orders organization and this is how I keep my thoughts in check and that's how I can get things organized and then that's how I don't forget things when I start the writing part so so that that's a great example of how nonfiction is really about logical order it's about here's a hypothesis and here's the supporting evidence and we don't do that when we're plotting because plotting is about the conflict that drives a story so most of the time you will not see a plot in nonfiction. you may see it a little bit in creative nonfiction where you're bringing stories into a, a non-fiction um, environment but for the most part 
that that's bringing fiction into nonfiction and it's still connected with the fiction. So it's, it's kind of cool stuff. So, okay, let's go back to our story mountain then. So the story mountain is probably the earliest way that I think we generally teach kids about how stories work. And CJ, you want to tell us what the story mountain looks like? Yeah. So it and if like you a say mountain. just a mountain, I'm going to smack you. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what's really fun about story mountain is that, and I was actually working on this with my daughter in our homeschool and English stuff, because they're learning about the beginning, middle and end, right? Um, so Story Mountain for younger kids is really simplified. It's more like Story Mountain number one, I would say, where they're focused on three points, which is what happens in the beginning? You know, how does your story start? Setting, introduction, main characters. That's the beginning for, for a younger kid. And they're learning about each of those, okay? Um, and then, then you discuss the middle. So we start at the bottom. We go up to the point of the mountain where we're discussing the middle and uh, the major events or the conflicts that occur. And then, you know, you go down to the bottom to that, that third point. And it's like, how does the story end and what happens? Um, so that's usually where it starts for kids. But there are like, there's like the, the four point mountain, the five point mountain, the six point mountain. There are different parts to the mountain that actually really should be looked at as kind of a blueprint or what I learned. So really you've got the beginning and then it's like these little points or these plot points or beats hit and progress up this mountain slowly. And, and it's kind of what we call the, the rising action of the book. So you've got some kind of beginning and then you've got some kind of unexpected event. A lot of times this is called the inciting incident or the um, event that kind of kicks your character right through um, you know, that doorway into adventure and journey, and they have to make that decision, or sometimes that decision is made for them because of the unexpected event that happens and changes the world as they know it. Okay. And so you can kind of see that when you, when you draw that, that arc right there, this is where it's all rising. Okay. Then you have more buildup as far as what that major conflict looks like. Um, you know, what are the problems involved? And, and it's just, it gets right up to the top of where you're starting to hit all of the horrible conflicts and problems are just building, building, building. All of that action is rising. Um, and then you've got falling action, which is kind of the other side of that mountain or the other side of the story. And it, it, it really does look like a perfect mirror of each other, each side of this triangle, I guess you could say, going up and going down. Um, so that falling action, all that problem, everything that you're trying to resolve, and then the ending. And so I like the six parts of a story mountain, although sometimes people will will do less, uh, you know, less points and less development. But I always liked having those those points just pointed out to me originally when I first started, because it helps me understand and process it and visualize it. So that's what a story mountain is. It's showing you the beginning, the rising action, the, the very peak of your story of what should be happening, how intense it should be, and then where the falling action takes place and then the ending. And it kind of helps you frame your story around that idea. Um, did I get did I get it right? Do I get a gold sticker? Yep, yep, you get a gold star. Right in for it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times, I mean, we think of it as a triangle. Most of the time with, with classic stories, the rising action actually takes longer. And so yeah. it's kind of a 
a triangle on its side um, because that that's the whole build up to the climax of whatever the thing is. And usually our falling action comes fairly quickly. And most of the time we don't start, we don't end in the same place that we started. Um, and that's one of the big things we want out of a story is that a story has to contain conflict or it's not a story. And you generally want it to end differently than it began. When it comes right back down, it, you can do that, um, but it's a very static kind of story. But most of the time, if we say, you know, it starts with, uh, well, you know, Harry Potter as, a, as an example, and, and you get mountains within each in a series, each book has its own mountain, and then there's one mountain that goes across the entire series. So if we're talking about the series mountain for Harry Potter, well, he starts as, you know, a powerless orphan, the boy who lived. The very biggest climax point is when he has to go up against Voldemort for the very last time and he dies. Spoiler alert, if you haven't <laughs> read all of the books, that this happens. It's the, the, the statute of limitations on not bringing that out I, because I agree. He, he makes agree. it through it. You know, he, he, he comes back through on the other side. So, so to get to that, that's the biggest point. That's the biggest climax across the entire series. And everything happens in between this is that rising action. And then the falling action after that is actually fairly short. Because we say, yay, he won. The magic world has changed because of the things that he did. And we jump forward a little bit to see he and his friends as grownups now putting their own kids, you know, onto the train. And that's where the falling action and the end ends up. And he's at a very different place here than he was here. The story in the world is at a different place because of everything that happened. So usually the mountain is actually, instead of going, it doesn't go whoop, whoop, doesn't go straight up and down, but it goes a long ways and then it comes down and then it evens out. And when we talk about it coming up, it's not a straight line. It's a zigzaggy line because you have successes and failures and successes and failures and sometimes a really big success and sometimes a really great failure. So it's all loopity as you, but it all drives you to that climactic point because we, we instinctively want that because we get so used to this is the way stories are told. Um, and I was editing for somebody where um, we kept having all of these scenes, but they weren't driving anywhere. And we sometimes call those being beads on a string because it's like you've got a necklace with beads on it and there's all these nice beads, but they don't come together into something smooth. And that's the same thing across your action. If there's never a climactic point, then you've got beads on a string and that's not satisfying. We, we like stories to be satisfying. And to do that, we want to see a climactic moment and then we want to see what comes from that. I think for me, I always found this, although I liked and understood the concept of it, you know, it, it, for me, I always needed the beats. I needed to understand where the beats were because I, I was very literal in organization. And I've been able to learn how to adjust to those types of things. Um, and, and what I found with this story mountain is that there are so many different ways to outline guys. So if this feels constricting, you can try different ways. Uh, there's mind mapping that, I mean, there are a million ways to look and thing to look at things and to do things. Um, but you can also keep in mind, like Janice said, your, your triangle, your mountain is it's, it's going to shift as far as different things occurring. And so it is that zigzag. It is up and down. Um, cause mountains don't look like straight triangles anyway. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot yep. of up and down up and down going on there. So it's fun to play with, that's for sure. But it is definitely something I remember from, from school and now from just doing homeschool with the kids. So. Okay. And you brought up the word beats 
because this comes up a lot in developing plots and that kind of thing. So please define for us, what do you mean by beats? What is a beat? A beat is a specific plot point that happens in a story. And there are some things that they don't necessarily have to happen exactly um, at the moment that, you know, someone says that they do it, but it's kind of a, a way to gauge if your, um, if your action, if your events, if your scenes are happening where they should. Um, so for example, one beat, one plot point that a lot of folks in the industry are familiar with is the inciting incident or some kind of unexpected event that occurs that, that basically helps your character um, see that their world is, is not quite what they thought it was, or it puts them in a position where they now need to make a choice that was very unexpected, or they need to go on an adventure that they had not planned on, but it just, it pushes them through the door and, and then your story starts really getting going. Um, and this cannot happen in the middle of your book. Absolutely not. And so if you're, if your inciting incident has happened in the middle or two thirds of the way through your story, then that plot point is wrong. That's, we would say your beats are off. Your beats are off. That's not working. It really does need to happen within the first 25% of your book. Now, where that happens or where it really should happen or where it fits within that first 25% of your book, um, that, that all depends on you and the type of story you're writing, really, and what makes sense to you. But usually rule of thumb is that it's kind of the tail end of that 25%. And then you're moving forward. So that's just one example of a, a beat or a plot point. There's going to be different types of beats or plot points, depending on what kind of fiction you write. Romance has its own language. So if anybody has ever heard of romance in the beat, Gwen Hayes, I love, I love the woman. I love her. But there are all sorts of other uh, romance plot points or beats or things that we recognize as very important and must be in there, which is why romance is frequently referred to as very formulaic. Um, and we're all good with that. Any romance writer who writes that is down with formulaic because we know it works. And because we know that's what our audience expects and we are not interested in ticking them off in any way, shape or form, uh, but it's still difficult to write, even though you have those specific beats that you need to hit at specific moments. But other books like fantasy, um, you know, there are different types of things that you do need to have in that in sci fi. Um, but one thing that is very universal is the inciting incident. There are certain beats or plot points you absolutely have to hit in every single type of fiction story. Um, just so that people will feel that the story is moving. When you mess up those plot points or those beats, or you don't have them quite where you need to have them, your readers can tell. That's when they put the book down. That's why they put the book down. Maybe they don't know what the problem is, but they can sense it because the pacing is off. It's not as exciting. They, they feel a little like, oh, this really isn't getting going anywhere. Uh, maybe they're bored. Maybe they're pulled out of it. So um, plotting and beats are really important to nail at certain times within your story um, because if you don't nail it your pacing is off and if you don't have certain beats then you probably have some plot holes that you actually need to fill um, so that's that's what a, a beat is can I be devil's advocate and ask what about my creative expression would that having a plot in place wouldn't that constrain my creativity and uh I mean I I get it for like a romance book it's very formulated and you need to hit those points but what about if 
I mean, I, I, I guess my question is, is it a absolute must? To, to actually outline and plot it before yeah. writing it? Yeah. No, no, no. What I would suggest to anybody who just cannot work within those parameters um, and really they just need to free flow and think and just write, that's totally fine. Write your book, get it all out, and then take it and reverse engineer, if you will. Put it into an actual plotting outline for your specific niche market. Um, so if you do have a romance book, plug your entire story into the, you know, the, the Gwen Hayes uh, romance and the beat or any other template that you see and take a look and see if you have any holes or anything missing. Maybe you have an event occur within this book that, that you notice, oh, I have this here, but it actually should be here. And then you will know how to do the rewriting process a little bit better. Because what I've found with folks who, who do a lot of pantsing is that there is no end to the creativity and they write an amazing, interesting, fabulous, wonderful book. However, there is kind of some muddling going on if they aren't seasoned writers and really know how to pants like a pro. Um, and so lots of times they don't know how to fix it. They don't see where to fix it, but if they can just put it in kind of input it into a very, um, nice detailed plot, uh, template and just know that those are the beats that they need to have and to line it up and kind of see where I would recommend plotter. If I'm being honest, I love plotter. It's a great software that, that has a lot of different types of templates and outlines, and it will show up in a little timeline for you. And you can just, you know, write in underneath each beat what's happening in your chapter, um, where things are happening. And you can just kind of follow that timeline and see exactly where you might have some issues. And identifying those issues, doing it that process is very helpful because you've already got the story written, but now you know how to fix the development or any issues that you may have found. Um, plot points you didn't know about. Maybe you wrote yourself into a corner. Um, you know, then you can see where it went wrong. Um, because you know it went wrong somewhere, but you're just not sure how to identify it. Um, and then you can see how maybe you can fix things without having to hire a developmental editor. Just a, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not saying don't because sometimes you really do need that professional help. Um, but that is one way to go about doing it. I don't think that I would ever recommend a pantser to write a rough draft um, if they're not and not get some kind of developmental help like that at least professionally or on their own checking things if they do not have experience pantsing before. Um, I know a lot of pantsers who can nail it every time, but it is because they have so much experience and they've worked so much with their developmental editor that they've learned how to do that now. And so pantsing is not a problem because the beats really come quite naturally to them. Um, so those are just my thoughts on that. Do you have any? I think, sorry, it's just, I, I'm also thinking like in a general, like a, espionage or spy movie this is so important your timeline your the order of the things that are happening is so important because I read a lot in that genre and it's I can really spot you know this is just inconsistent at one point that person is there it's impossible physically impossible for that person to be at that place you know an hour later it's just impossible. So the, these kind of things are really, really important. And uh, it, it does, you do have to have some level of uh, orderly thinking process in order to make the 
the story work? And on the receiving end, as a reader of that kind of genre, it would really piss me off if I see <laughs> like holes in your plot. It's, it's, then I'm done. I'm done. So, yeah. So that, yeah, Jenna. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and that's the answer to the question about, you know, do you have to have beats and stuff at all? No, you, you can write whatever you want. Do you want to sell your book? If you want to sell your book, you want other people to read it and, and, and appreciate it, you have to hit the beats and, and you, you have to hit some kind of beat. That there's some that are, you know, things like having an inciting incident and a climax. Those, those are pretty, every book tends to have those in one way or another. Some of the others, because like CJ said, you can go, look and people say, oh, there should be 23 beats to the climax. There should be 16 beats to the climax. There should be what whatever your foreplay is to get to the climax. Um, Hey, I'm a romance writer. I am allowed to make those jokes. I can see CJ <laughs> over there laughing. But but whatever it is that gets you there, that can be very, very um, person to person uh, will can change. But within the general structure, we need it to be there because that's when a story is satisfying. And like if you push that inciting incident off, that's what um, Dean Wesley Smith calls it, uh, walking up to the story. And it's the idea that you're out there, if you're if you're coming up to a farmhouse, you're wandering down the road and you're looking at the orchard and you're petting the dog, but nothing has happened that actually starts the story. So you, you can spend thousands and thousands of words wandering around before you actually get to the story. And everything that's before that inciting incident, it's not useless. You can do character development, that kind of thing there, but... It tends to be slow and it tends to throw readers off. And this is particularly true of modern readers. So because people argue and they'll say, well, Hemingway did blah, 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 blah. Hemingway takes multiple pages to describe a turtle walking across the road because there's a whole thing there. And every English major knows about the whole thing that's there because we had to analyze the ding, ding thing. But modern yeah. audiences don't like reading him because it's such a slow pickup. And that's what you get with the beats is that when these things are off, when you don't have a real climactic moment, it's disappointing because now the story is just over. And you're like, wait, I was, I, I was waiting for the moment and it never happened. And that's mm -hmm. not satisfying or not having that inciting incident soon enough. Um, in romance, it's often the meet cute when, when our, our two people meet for the first time and you go, oh, this is who this book is about. And that's what a meet cute defines for you in romance is who is the book about? The inciting incident defines for you who is the main character. Because it's it's how you tell that, you know, Luke Skywalker is going to be the main character of Star Wars because he's the one the inciting, inciting. incident happens, uh, happens to. Everybody else that is main-ish, that is important, is important. But he is the main character of that entire set because he's the one the inciting incident happens to. He's the one the droids come to. They don't go to Princess Leia. They don't go to Han Solo. They don't end up anywhere else. The droid showing up is the inciting incident. And that happens to him. And thus, he is my main character. It tells me who I'm going to root for. And so when you get into, you know, uh, outlining versus pantsing, like CJ says, you're going to apply this structure one way or another, either before the fact or after it. And then there's a lot of us who are in the middle, and then I do it like a roadmap. So I like to think, okay, if I'm traveling from my house to grandma's house, which is a four-hour car ride away, there are certain places that we are going to stop because we always stop at those places. So we're going to stop at our very our, our inciting incident when I'm going to grandma's house is our very favorite soda place. 
because you, you got to tank up on the caffeine before you make this four-hour drive to grandma's house. And that's always that first big thing that says we are going on a trip to grandma's house is that we stop at the soda shop. And then we know that, you know, just off the road at one point is the place that has really, really good hamburgers. And we're going to stop there. And at another point, there's a petting zoo that my daughter loves. So we're going to stop at the petting zoo. And then there's another place that has a gigantic, just absolutely enormous rocking chair outside of a gas station. Why it's there, I still don't know. But we always stop there and get a picture of our children sitting in the ginormous rocking chair. And, and we have this for all of our kids, and I've got much older children, and I've got years worth of pictures of them getting older and older sitting in the ginormous rocking chair. And, and so we have these points. These are the places we're going to stop. Then um, in between, we might get distracted by something. Oh, look, there's a sign that says that they're having a fair right now. Let's pull over and go look at it. Let's go and stop here. And in your plotting, it can be much that way where you can say, I know the beginning, know the inciting incident i know two or three lampposts that have to happen on the way to the climax i know the climax i know the end and then you can kind of pants what's in between those and you can say yeah we're going to go down the road to the world's biggest ball of twine and then we're going to come back out because having those pot those plot points gives you a place to attach your pantsing to to bring it back in line with your story so you don't have to do it afterwards. So there, there's a lot of ways to adjust this idea to say I still need a plot. Sometimes we even have multiple plots. We'll have one overarching plot that is driving the whole thing and then maybe we have a romance subplot where there, there's also this little romance going on but that's not the biggest part of the story. The big part of the story is hey we have mystery to solve we're running away from the bad guys we're whatever and and while that's going on then there's also a subplot that is doing the same kind of mountain thing that may be a character relationship development whether that's a romance or whether that's the family coming back together um because that happens a lot in stories but those are so we call subplots and sometimes you'll have two or three of those going as well but they all follow the same idea of they've got to build and then they've got to reach a decision point, a climactic point, and then they come out. So kind of fun there. I Go ahead, Virginia. I just want to remind you guys, the name of the podcast is Publishing by the Numbers. So uh, it's not, uh, you know, let's how to get the best literary prize or awards. That's This is not the purpose of this podcast. So uh, I understand, you know, being as, as being a literary literary literature literary. Literature, literature, literature snob, I'm <laughs> all for the Hemingway or uh, you know the Flaubert that it's just 600 pages and I have I have no idea what I'm reading and actually it put me to sleep. But I like to have that on my bookshelf. <laughs> That's a very different type of book we're talking about right now. If you want to sell your book, you got to have those things that work in the book. I like the point you make about the difference between um, literary, very literary fiction, um, and something that's more mainstream and commercialized. And that's not to say that you can't sell that type of literature. Um, you just need to verify whether there's a, a, a specific market for it um, and do the necessary market research to decide if the, the book of your heart is also the book uh, that is going to, you know, get you moving with 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 sales, um, or if the series of your heart 
is just more for your benefit because you want to accomplish something freaking amazing and write something you love and get it published and be proud of that because you absolutely should be, um, you know, but if you also want that to be combined with um, monetary success, then again, consider, can, is this something I can sell? Is there a market for it? Jana, what were you going to say? Oh, just that, that, you know, we appreciate all of the different types of writing there is out there. And there's a lot of it that you can write and that you can be very satisfied with, but you also have to know what is your success. So if your success looks like getting something in a literary magazine, um, placing something that that's very much that that kind of writing, and some people look at it and they go, writing to market is evil. You're you're selling out to the man. <laughs> We're not telling you to do that either. But you know we've talked about this before. We all like putting bread on the table. And when you can align your passion with things that have a broader audience and you can fulfill what that audience wants, you're going to get that kind of success. And you can write both and just put one under a pen name. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's no reason not to. But mm -hmm. look at what your success is. Look at what your goals are. And if your goals are, hey, I really do want to see some movement on this and, and I want it to be a little more commercial, then you've got to really start to figure out what are these beats? What are the tropes? What does my audience expect? And fulfill those expectations. Um, and, and if you're happy doing just kind of whatever and tossing it out there and seeing where it goes, fantastic as well. But just, again, think about what, what does your success look like? And, and I'm not shy about saying that one of my big markers of success is that I like making money. It makes me happy. It, it makes it so that I can spend more time with my, my family. I can spend more time doing the things that I want um, and that I don't have to go into a, an office and work. I can work from home in my pajamas with my fuzzy blankie. And, and I like all those things. So when I, when I do come up with things, I do take into mind, what does my market research say? And for that genre, what does the plot look like? What do the tropes look like? What are the things that readers find satisfying? And then I combine that with my passion to hopefully bring those things together. All right. Well, before we move on, I think that I wanted to do one other thing, which is a quick breakdown to kind of show how this works. So we're going to talk about Cinderella because that's a very well-known story. And oh. I don't think it'll make V2 crazy. I know. No. I know. It's a fairy tale. <laughs> Okay, so just to kind of point out how beats work. So if we take a classic Cinderella, it opens up and we're introduced to Cinderella and her situation. Her dad's dead. He remarried somebody who was kind of awful. And she's got the stepmother and stepsisters who um, are using her for her abilities to clean floors and stoke fireplaces and very little else. So she's living in a situation that is not particularly good. In most versions, though, we also at this point establish what kind of person she is. And she tends to be hopeful. She tends to be cheerful. She tends to be kind. She tends to have all of these attributes that we want to cheer for her. And that's what's established in that opening shot. Um, if we go to the Disney one, she sings with the mice and the birds. And, you know, this makes every little girl go, I want these friends. Um, because it's a thing, you know, the, the dreams that wish your heart makes, it's, it's that whole idea that she has dreams. Um, and then, you know, we see the interactions with, with her stepmother, with her stepsisters. We, we see the situation she's in. The inciting incident in the classic story is when the ball is announced. And, and a lot of stories, they do different things to get there. But that's really the biggest inciting incident, even if she's met the prince beforehand, which happens in several versions, that's the place where her world changes. 
because now there's an opportunity to go from everything we've seen before into something new. Okay, so, so that's generally our inciting incident. Then between that and the climax, which is attending the ball, actually, it's not attending the ball. The climax is getting the shoe. That, that's, that's where everything comes to a thing. So in between that, you're going to get arguments with the stepmother. You're going to get, can she go to the ball or not? You're going to get the introduction of a fairy godmother who grants the things that she needs in order to get there. You're going to get the ball itself and meeting the prince. And you're going to get, so the climactic moment with this one is kind of, it's either losing the shoe or it's when the shoe is brought to her, depending on how it's formatted. Um, mm -hmm. I think I would probably lean towards losing the shoe, running away from the ball is that it's the highest point where everything comes together. And then our falling action is how does she meet up with the prince again? And that comes with him searching around, bringing the shoe, trying it on, chopping off toes and heels as necessary. And right. it, the ending is that the happily ever after where she and the prince wander off or she opens her own shoe shop, whichever. <laughs> but but just that idea, you can kind of see as you think through it. And, and even as you analyze, you can go, well, what really is that climactic moment? And I started with, well, it's when she gets the shoe. And then I thought about it. It's like, no, that's really not it. The climactic point, moment where everything comes together and everything changes is when she runs away. Mm -hmm. Everything pushes to that moment when she loses the shoe. And then the fallout from that is how that shoe brings them back together. And you can do this with all sorts of stories, and it's really kind of fun. And it's a good practice before you start plotting your own to look at other stories of various lengths and go, well, what can I, what, what are the beats here? What are the things that people need to learn in order to get to the climax? What are the friends that they need to make? What kind of mentors do they need? The fairy godmother in this case is important because she provides the way for Cinderella to get to the ball, um, but she's a beat. You know, it's it's those important people. Those can all count as beats, meeting those people, making friendships. But it's all those pieces you need to get to. You've got to arrive at the ball and you have to have the climactic moment where she runs away. And then it's all out from there. So I challenge you to, you know, get together with other writers. Um, come online, do it in the comments. We'll watch the comments and look at what kind of stories can you break these apart? And then how can you apply what you learn there to the stories that you're preparing to write or things you've already written that you're like, this just isn't quite right. Um, and a way to see if your beats are broken is give it to a beta reader and have them draw a red line when they're bored, when, when they reach the point where they would put the book down. And the whole idea is you want them to be able to get through the whole story without ever drawing the red line. Yep, All right. I love that. Anything else you guys want to add on this subject? I know you mentioned it before, but just there's not one way of doing the plot, right? There's a lot of different ways. There's tools. Uh, CJ mentioned plotter. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's all the, all the templates. So one of my very favorite is the hero's journey. So mm -hmm. it's the hero's journey as well. And if you look at, oh, I had this conversation with CJ and she's like, this, this is not happening. So I <laughs> compared uh, Kung Fu Panda with uh, Lord of the Ring, uh, uh, is yep. it Lord, Lord, Lord of the Ring or Lord of the Rings? Well, first Lord of, of the all, Rings. I wanted to change the title of the Lord of Lord of the Rings, which such a huge no no, um, because she felt it did not make sense. We will not get into why. Yeah, we oh, we will. Yeah, so I retitled that book to be The Ring. 
because that's just easier. I think it makes much more sense, you know, talking. If you're listening from your grave, th that's my professional advice. You need to change the title. Anyway, so that that and Kung Fu Panda, if you look at the, the, the plot, it's the same. It's the same. If you look, it's it, it's following the same heroes' journeys where it's the same. So that I realized oh, I didn't deny that it the same. I, I agreed that it was the same. I was just concerned that you felt that as far as like level of story goes, that it we were comparing Lord of the Rings to Kung Fu Panda. I felt very strongly that these were two I, different. I think that's a completely fair assessment. I think that's uh that's a book waiting to be written you know a comparative analysis between lord lord of the rings and uh kung fu panda by virginia anderson that's oh, there we go that's there you go. Cute. anyway but so my point, my point is it, there's a lot of different tools a lot of different templates a lot of different um ways to plot so it's just a matter of finding one that works for you uh and 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 you also can do freestyle, but then reverse engineer the the whole thing just to make sure that there's no holes in the plot. As from a reader's point of view, uh, this is really annoying to say the least. I was going to use another word, but let's, <laughs> let's just use annoying. There is a um, sketch comedy group down here called Studio C and I will find this link and put it in the show notes because it's hysterical but one of the sketches they did was all about a writer's cafe and they would have different famous writers who came in and would say oh yeah I want what he's having and then you look at it and you go well what he's having is Star Wars and what she's having is Harry Potter and they're exactly the same thing which was the entire point of the the sketch that there are these things that they they just shake them up and and then bring them out a different way and we've talked about this before that this is what readers really want they like having the familiar but different so they love a hero's journey retold in a different way um they're and and that's just a lot of fun and so as we learn these templates that's what the template gives us is it gives us the familiar then you want to come in with your own creativity and your own passion and say how using this template using this familiar can i then add a personal twist to it that brings people into the brand that is you and makes them go oh yeah it's a hero's journey but it's this author's hero's journey and it's maze balls so anyway that said we're going to move on to our very very favorite part this is our moment of absolute and utter irrelevancy and virginia we're going to let you start because you weren't with us last week, so you're on. Oh, I, so I, I need double time because I missed last week, right? So that's that's I've decided. So I'm I'm in Japan uh, for a little while, and you've all heard of Japanese toilet, and I thought that's just I don't know. We need to create a whole new word for that. So first of all, there's apparently a whole website of testimonials about Japanese toilet and how amazing it is. What it did to me is just questions. So I get into Japanese toilet and I see already a million buttons. I don't know which one to which one is to flush, which it's pretty much all what you need to do. I don't know why you need music. I don't know why you need ambient lighting. I don't know why you need all sorts of different 
handles. And I especially do not know why you need to wash your butt in a public toilet. <laughs> I don't understand. I, I'm so I so one of my mission while I'm here is I want to understand how this this butt washing works. But I'm not willing to be the guinea pig. So my solution was for CJ to join me on the next trip when I'm here. And she sits on that seat and and she she tests how it works because I, I obviously obviously I'm not going to subject myself to that. Right. That and of course I would. So, um, CJ would have to. Me. Yes. And I, I and I told her that, you know, the upside is that seat is actually quite warm and it's it's quite comfy. So just just sit on it and then see how it goes. So that's that's my that's my yeah. So I still don't know how it works. Um candle idea though. That's a nice touch. Just yeah. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I know. I, I am so glad that I've not been invited to to try that out. I'm I'm, I'm just gonna well, let it go. Yeah, please, because it's clear how she sees us. You're the professional, and I'm the guinea pig. Must to fly all the way to Japan to test out the toilet? I think not. Hey, there's a oh, whole website of people who are ecstatic about those toilets. So it's really a it's really an honor, an <laughs> honor, a privilege that I'm giving you. So just. Be grateful and oh, oh, okay. literally get your butt here and then let's, let's, let's. <laughs> Gratitude. Oh, oh, on that disturbing note, CJ, please save us. What is irrelevant in your world? I am upset with the postal service, although I know that I need to give them their due. I'm actually really not upset with them. I'm more upset with the line the line at the post office, because even though I'm outside, like I'm close to the city, but a little outside of it in a smaller suburban area, we have a post office and it's tiny and it's usually dead. And so for me to get out of my house at any time during the day with the millions of things that I have to do is, is monumental. Okay. Um, for me to remember to mail things like Christmas presents for you guys is also monumental because you are all aware of how horrible my memory actually is. Uh, and so I have gone twice now to this post office thinking, surely I will be able to mail all of these things that I have. And the first time I went, I walked in and the line was out from the little door through and all the way past the PO boxes out the back door, which I was unaware that the UPS postal office had because it's small and I didn't know they had a back door. Um, and, uh, and I looked at that and I said, good Lord. And no, thank you. And then I turned around and walked out, but I forgot that I'd said it out loud that I said it out loud in front of all those people. So as I'm turning around, I hear like all these people start laughing and they're like, it's going to be this way for the rest of the month. And I'm thinking to myself, lies, all lies. So mom's my mumsy. She's like, Hey, go in the morning at nine o'clock, right? Next morning, nine o'clock, just go. I do. I remembered because I put an alarm on my phone. Thank you. And I went and I tried it again and I opened up the door and apparently people had been there since 8.30. So many people since 8.30 and I walk in and the line is even longer. And I said, what is happening 
to this post office. And the lady in front, this cute, sweet little lady, she said, oh, sweetheart, did you think you could get here at nine? <laughs> <laughs> like, it was that look of amateur. She's such an amateur. Like, she was pitying me, and it made me feel worse. <laughs> and then I left again. So my goal is to now go in to Tucson. Okay. We're going to go into the city where I'm hoping the post offices are larger and the lines are less. And we're going to try it again tomorrow because I just don't have two hours to stand there in that line just to get boxes to put things in and then stand there in the line again, just to mail stuff. At this point, you guys are going to be lucky if you get your Christmas presents before. Instead, it's better to spend that two hours to drive to a post office that you're not sure actually you're going to be able to get into. Yeah, but then you don't even know what's the line situation there. So you might be getting there at 8 a.m. Mm. See, you haven't, like, just forget, forget about sending gifts. Just come to Japan, try the toilet seat. How did we go back to the toilet seat I, on this? I don't know. That's how I always go back to my point. So I think yes, yes. what the real plan should be. I'm just going to mail it after New Year's. Sorry, guys. I'm just <laughs> that, that works, too. No. Since, since this, pod, this podcast is going up after New Year's, we, we'll, <laughs> we'll put a little edited bit on the <laughs> end and let you know if it ever happened. <laughs> okay. We, we will totally do that for you, people. Um, what about you, Jenna? Lift up the, the um, label because... My, mine is really cute. So a friend of mine is putting out a call for a new anthology. Um, it's actually Lynn, who we've talked about before. And when it officially comes out, um, we'll let everybody know. But she gave a sneak peek to some of us who are um, who have been working with her for a while. And I was talking about it, and my little girl overheard me. And she came up with the setup and the whole plot and everything for the story that I am going to write for this anthology. And then I got permission that if it's accepted, she'll get credits as my co-writer. And she thought that was so exciting. I said, well, we'll have to think of a pen name for you. And she says, oh, no, no, no. I already know what my pen name is. And I'm like, wait, what? How long have you been thinking about this? Forever, mom. It would be awesome. I, I didn't realize she wanted to write stories with me, but apparently this is a thing and I'm so proud of her. So, so we'll let you guys Thank know, you. but she, she and I are going to be writing a story about um, werewolves in Alaska during the time of, uh, in 1925, as part of the um, being sled dogs for taking medicines to all of the, the, the whole story of, of Balto and the various others. She's read like eight books about sled dogs and just loves the whole thing. So for the anthology, we're going to combine all of those ideas and we're going to write a killer story and she's going to get her first publishing credit when she's 10. That is very And glad. it's awesome. I'm so glad Jenna is here to lift the label. So I think this is a good- You're right. We went from toilets to fights with UPS lines to a 10-year-old getting a publishing credit. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a good place to 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 stop to this. End. Yeah, to end. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. You can find the show notes and the show at www.alantumdigital.com and follow the podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast distributor. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. See y'all later. Bye. Bye.